you know, uh, shit happens. Radio Drone. Welcome to another Thursday night. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is my helpful manservant robot, Cecil. It's Friday night. Shut up. He's referring to an outtake you guys didn't hear. Listen, prick. Knock it off. <laughs> and we have special guests with us back again, Darren Orange. How's it going, everyone? Well, clearly we're not doing too well if we're on the second take of this, because I totally gimped the first one. But speaking of gimping things... You could go to adamandeve.com. I'm sure they have gimp suits. You use the promo code DROME, you would get 10 free gifts, 6 free DVDs, a free mystery gift, a gift for him, a gift for her, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at another director retrospective, although we will be talking about his producing and writing work as well. George A. Romero, a man that... It's it's kind of ironic. He doesn't have as many credits as you would think he does for as famous as the name George Romero is. It's funny. His films all feel like George Romero made them or wrote them. Even if you go back to some of the first stuff he did, like when he was working on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or when he made the 1974 documentary on O.J. Simpson, Juice on the Loose. Well, those films or those projects in general, I don't think are good or appropriately representing him. I think when he's at his best, it's usually uh, a horror focus point or something along those lines, something very uh, thriller-esque. And most of the time, those films seem to be very much so. It seems like he produced it, he made it, he directed it, or he wrote it. And the, those other projects, I don't think, speak to his strengths. It's almost as if he was a gun for hire, perhaps. When doing something like that, it, it was still relatively early in his career, especially for the old 60s, 70s directors. Do you, when, does it boggle uh, your mind he used to work on Mr. Rogers? No, because uh, there's been a lot of people that have, have you know come out of uh, bizarre areas that you wouldn't uh, suspect. So, no, that I mean, especially back then uh, where it was just looking, you know, it was it was a job. And uh, I'm sure there were a lot of people that have worked in some uh, areas where it uh, would be major surprise. I mean, hell, Alanis Morissette was uh, on uh, – was it, You can't do, you can't that, do on that on television. Because George Romero, the film that put him on the map, he kind of had a Citizen Kane moment where when you come right out of the gate, your first film is the one you're the most remembered for. Of course, his career didn't go the same way Orson Welles did, but Night of the Living Dead. I believe that there is a reason Night of the Living Dead is the absolute classic that it is, partially because it's public domain, so anyone can do anything they want with it, but also the fact that it's a fantastic film. It still holds up today. I mean, you get get rid of a couple of the hairstyles, that film could take place today. I think the original 1968 Night of the Living Dead is almost perfect film. And when I say perfect, I don't mean, yes, I know there are continuity problems. I know the shadows don't match from cut to cut. I'm not talking about that. I mean, as a movie, it's a perfect movie experience. Am I the only one that feels like that? No, I think it's a phenomenal film. It's a case of a director who was relatively new at the time, uh, still, and he took a very small amount of money and made something that here we are you know, decades later and people are still referring to, people are still watching, people are still just adoring. And it's still scary. It's still scary. It's great. It's it's just an amazing movie across the board. So uh, absolutely, it, it deserves any and all accolades that it gets. Yeah, I don't know uh, about you guys, but I saw the film very young. Um, me being very young is still probably close to 20 years or so after it was first uh, produced and released. So to me, at that age, it had a huge impact. So in that timelessness and the fact of how it affects people... I think it's uh, it'll always be impactful and always be effective as a storytelling film. I mean, especially when it comes to new generations, if you show it to someone, especially at the right age, it'll always be an absolutely epic film from the sense of a first experience with that type of genre. It, it has this, this weird quality 
no matter when you watch Night of the Living Dead, there are very few films that do this. No matter when you watch Night of the Living Dead, it feels like 3 a.m. on a Saturday night, at least to me. No, I think that's awesome. I think that's always the case. You should feel like you're watching something classic you'd be enjoying late at night. Sometimes the best memories are made in late nights. So quite honestly, it makes total sense. Absolutely. I think you're right on. I think a lot of uh, people that, uh, especially from uh, people that were born in like the, the 70s and the 80s, have seen Night Living Dead you know, late at night, either on uh, cable or uh, on, on some way, and uh, it scared the hell out of them. Usually, usually UHF TV. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, back when, uh, you know, UHF was a thing. Night of the Living Dead was not a successful film, but it was a monstrously successful film. What I mean by that is it's the film that got George Romero noticed, but I mentioned earlier that it's public domain. They made no money on this film because initially it was called Night of the Flesh Eaters, which is what they copywrote. Then when they changed the title to Night of the Living Dead, they forgot to change the copyright. So the film has always been public domain. They have barely made back their budget on this movie, even though it is considered to be one of the most seen and most put on video movie of all time. Romero's made nothing off that. So that's how it's his both most successful and least successful film ever. Then after that, he was still making commercials and working on documentaries, but then he made the film There's Always Vanilla, and that's a good title because it's a vanilla movie all the way around. The movie's boring as hell. That's all I'll say about 1971's There's Always Vanilla. Unfortunately, with uh, Vanilla, I actually haven't personally I've seen it, so I'm for, uh, maybe it's for the better. I don't have that impression of him. <laughs> No, that's another one, unfortunately. Well, I guess fortunately I haven't seen it, but uh, I don't know. I, I I might check it out at some point, but uh, I have a, a huge list of things I need to get to. So, so, no, I have not seen it. Okay, well then after that, he made another movie that I don't dislike this movie, but I don't like this movie. One of the one of the weird things about this movie is the next film is all of the different titles. I know it as Season of the Witch. It's also known as Jack's Wife, Hungry Wives, The Life of Jack's Wife, and there are like three other titles for this movie. Nobody could decide on a title. Now, in all honesty, I think Season of the Witch, well, it doesn't necessarily convey the, the right tone for the movie, is the best title because would you guys go see a movie about, when I'm, I'm putting modern in quotes, 1972, quote, modern day witchcraft in suburbia as a movie called Jack's Wife? Jack's wife sounds like a rom-com to me. <laughs> so it's a terrible title. It is. It's not good. Uh, I mean, it, Romero it, hates the title "Season of the Witch," but that's closer to what the movie's about. He likes the title "Jack's Wife," and I'm like, that's as boringly generic of a title as you can get. Uh, I mean, I I always kind of uh, err in favor of the creator. Maybe there's some reason behind uh behind his liking of that title but um i personally uh think that season of the witch is the better title but now when i think season of the witch i think halloween three yeah but this is you know a but this i know i know i know but this is way before that but still you know f for how i think of it i i think uh halloween three but uh you know yeah yeah it's it's a much better title than jack's wife yeah, I think it, I would stay with the uh, season of the witch. I think it makes sense. I think the uh, uh, Jack's wife is a bit uh, bizarre, uh, to be frank. I th I'd be very curious what today's world would name the film based upon you know its content and everything else. I think it would be curious to see what would be appropriate. Maybe they just didn't have the right people involved with naming it. Obviously, people are attached to different names all the time. I'd be curious to see what it would be named today. Well, and probably the biggest problem, whatever you want to call this movie, has is not necessarily that it's boring, but that it's so 1972, you can't watch it nowadays. When I saw this movie for the first time in the 90s, and the movie is shockingly 70s, and not in a fun way, in a, wow, is this 1972. And that's why I might be committing blasphemy here. I really think this movie deserves a remake. If it was done right, because it's not a bad premise, it's not badly written, it's just so 70s, I think Season of the Witch needs to be remade. It's about a bored suburban housewife. Her husband works all the time, the titular Jack. She gets involved with a witch, witchcraft coven, and things don't go as planned. 
And unfortunately, that plot's only about 25 minutes of the 90-minute movie. The rest of it is just holy 70s furniture, holy 70s TV, holy 70s hairstyles, and not in a good way. I I think I've seen this porno. (laughs) (laughs) It would work better as a porno, honestly. But, I mean, do you think I'm wrong saying that because this movie is so trapped in 1972 – a remake is not necessarily a bad thing if they kind of stuck to the original story. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I know I, I rail against remakes a lot, but I am not against remakes when they're done with the right uh, intentions. Uh, I'm against remakes where it's just lazy rehashings of the same exact movie rather than kind of expanding upon it. So when you have something like this where it has a good idea, but it isn't entirely realized in the original movie, I don't have a problem with taking the remake and then making it more of what it should be. You know, having the first half hour set up the bored housewife who gets into witchcraft, and then maybe having the next hour, uh, hour and a half, where it's a little bit more intense, where it gets into uh, a little bit more of the, the witchcraft and whatnot, as opposed to the original film, where it just kind of meandered along. I think it could totally have a remake. I don't. I don't see why not. Um, I think that it's it's quite interesting you talking about the the fact that it feels like it's stuck in an era. Uh, I think it's curious, especially in particular, we can talk about the the films uh, in his future. He was very clear in addressing the timelessness. Um, it seems like in his later films and keeping them open ended. And I think that that being the case, you know, that film makes total sense to update. It definitely has that flair. And then then we go to 1973's The Crazies, which is a film I do enjoy a lot, which, as Cecil pointed out, sometimes the remake misses the point. The Crazies remake was god-awful, but thankfully Romero didn't have anything to do with that. I think The Crazies is kind of a prescient film. It was kind of an outbreak film before outbreak films were, were a thing. I really like The Crazies. Yes, it's, it is it is not as much as Season of the Witch. It's a very 70s film. It's very much stuck in the 70s, but this time not necessarily in a bad way. The Crazies, I find more of a time capsule of the 70s and not a victim of the 70s. I think it's a great film that is honestly hurt by how terrible the remake was. Uh, well, I can disagree with you on the remake quite extensively, but um, I do feel like the original film is a different movie. Uh, they're definitely different stylistically. He was way ahead of the curve with that fear, um, way premature almost, and it's unfortunate because the film stands up today, but it still it just didn't hit the right demographic. It wasn't as scary as it could have been. Um, I think it has more impact today, more relevancy today than it did back then. But I do like the remake, uh, but it is a because it's technically a different film entirely with different ambitions. Uh, I think the original movie is fantastic. It's uh, it's really well paced. It's so interesting because it's not it's not a happy movie by any sense it's so uh has so many uncomfortable moments where the uh, the, the daughter is trying to have sex with her father and like everybody's like what the hell are you doing you know like it's it's just really creepy and weird and the people that when they go nuts it's not the typical insanity they're not just a bunch of uh crazy people that are, you know, turning into zombies, essentially. Like, there's the scene where the military is shooting all the people that are coming towards them, and there's the one lady who's just sweeping the grass. It's like, this is insanity. This isn't just crazy people attacking and killing everybody, which I feel is more of what the remake was. I didn't hate the remake. I actually liked liked, uh, what they were going for, and I did think that they they at least... uh, tried to put a different spin on the source material. Uh, I thought some of the visuals in it were really cool. Too. In a way, though, times had changed, hadn't they? Because in 1973, and this is the reason I think the film works so well in its 1973 time period, is this was kind of the terror in suburbia. You know, this is before the slasher movies and whatnot, but this was everyone felt safe in suburbia. And then all of a sudden, you've got all these people in plastic suits showing up, shooting everybody to stop this. I think that's why it worked so well and why he was so far ahead of the curve. He was showing you that suburbia is just as vulnerable as everywhere else. The remake didn't necessarily have that tone to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the remake was essentially... The remake was a boost scare movie, too. The remake was a total boost scare movie. But the the remake was 
essentially a zombie movie without them being zombies where uh the original was 28 days than, later yeah, yeah <laughs> per, only not nowhere near as good but but still i didn't i didn't dislike it i actually i i thought the remake was way better than i thought it would have been it at least tried to do things differently and uh, it didn't just follow the exact same plot the original was so much stronger because it had the very ambiguous ending, uh, it also, which also was a very, very, very down ending where it's like, here's the cure. I have the cure. Oh, you're one of the crazy people. Oh, and now the cure is destroyed. Oh, you know, it's like that's something Romero does a lot. <laughs> Look at the ending of the original Night of the Living Dead. You know, Ben survives all of that just to be shot by mistake. But uh, and yeah, Romero is really good at, at that of, of just kind of, oh, Cayo, they almost had it kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's still good. So so the original Crazies is fantastic. Then the next year he made the aforementioned O.J. Simpson documentary Juice on the Loose, which I haven't seen in 30 years. So I've got nothing to say on that one. Well, then after that, he moved on to Martin, 1977's Martin. Now, this is a film. Again, like Season of the Witch, I think it's got a great premise. The script is not bad. It, it to, you know, the tone he got right with the difference in the fantasy, whether you're not sure what Martin is doing, whether it's he is just imagining this and the difference between reality and fantasy. But I think Martin, as as a movie, is a dreadfully bad movie. It's a movie that was not realized at all. I think the acting is kind of ridiculous. The it's shot very poorly it's shot like a drive-in movie but then the script kind of has higher ambitions so those two styles clash i think martin's another one that should be remade because a guy who thinks he's a vampire but actually isn't is a fantastic premise that i don't think martin lives up to and i know i just blasphemed every horror movie listener out there because i know how revered this movie is but i just did not like martin the problem, if Martin was remade now, Martin needs, I would say, another 10 years or so before anybody tries to remake it. Because if they make it now, most likely whoever's going to foot the bill is going to really shoehorn it in the Twilight style of vampires. Because we, we're, we're struggling to get good vampire movies. We need, to rec- we need to reclaim vampires, damn it. We really do. It's it's been a while since I've seen Martin. Uh, I di- I did really enjoy it. It is a little slow, but I mean it, it was 1977, so things weren't quite as fast. And which I, I don't, don't know. That's mind. the same year that Star Wars came out. Yeah, but but uh, I mean certain movies come out and change things. So, uh, but I don't mind slower movies. Just because a movie's slow doesn't automatically equal bad. I thought it was cool. I thought the pr- the concept was was good. And I do agree that this is another one that could stand very well to be remade. But now, uh, vampire movies, it would it would just be done bad. I, I don't I don't see a remake of this being good uh, anytime soon. So I have a unique perspective because I actually hadn't seen any of Martin until this past week ago, and I actually saw parts of it through uh, having found a way of watching Document of the Dead. Then I went back and reviewed it and found stuff that I could find through YouTube, etc. And I was actually shocked at how well it was framed up. The things they talked about, about Martin, the timing and pacing and how they structured shots and things like that. So my perspective is actually very skewed. I have this impression of it being very well thought out. Very, I know he gets compared to it a lot, but it is very well thought out, like a Hitchcockian style type of pacing. And it's, it's creepy. And it's kind of mind-blowing that he would have done that. Again, timing-wise, I think that's a big question mark. But storytelling and as far as the the cinematics and how it tells things without actually saying anything, that's an amazing feat uh, for a director. It's just great. So I, I think it's pretty darn impressive. But then we come to what is arguably Romero's crowning achievement, what most people will say is George Romero's magnum opus, even more so than Night of the Living Dead, and that is Dawn of the Dead. It's a film that I just watched again two, three weeks ago. The original Dawn of the Dead is fantastic. The story, the characters, how it plays out, the the social commentary. I think Dawn of the Dead is almost like, like I said, how Night of the Living Dead is almost like a perfect movie. 
Dawn of the Dead is not as not per, as perfect in that manner. I think is one of the best action commentary movies I have ever seen. I love the original 1978 Dawn of the Dead. I actually liked the 2004 movie too, but that's a almost totally different re- movie with just the same premise. Got to be one of my top rated films of all time. It's 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 timelessness, it's ability to to, to speak about people's behaviors and activities during extreme situations is just amazing. I mean, hell, I have a poster of Dawn sitting on my wall. But the characters away are three-dimensional. They, 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 they react well. like real people for the most part. I mean, Stephen makes a couple of stupid decisions that you kind of go, okay, that was a little plot-related. But overall, the, our four mains are real people. Agreed. I think that... Roger sometimes seems like a caricature of how where people can go. Uh, you have the extremes of people's mentalities representative in the group, uh, and it's funny because in that regard, you see how they can they tend to balance each other for the most part. But sometimes people get caught, they get hurt, they get and and that's what happens in storytelling. So it's neat to see each person's personality. People have their development and their arcs go the directions they go. You know, as far as uh, a consumerist commentary, too, with, with the mall and everything else, it really inspired, and even today, it's a, a thing that where people want to have the ability to see potentially a post-apocalyptic type setting and imagine yourself being stuck in a mall of all places. I mean, there's almost something fantastical, fantasy-like about that. Even with the terribleness that's happening outside, people can still fantasize about having a mall to yourself, even with being surrounded by zombies and stuff, right? But so I think part, that, of that, part of that, Darren, is how forward-thinking Romero was. In 1978 or 1977 when they made it, malls were not as ubiquitous as they are now. The, the mall was a relatively new concept. Hell, there's even a lot of dialogue in there. It's one of those new indoor malls that he was so far ahead of the curve in the social satire of consumerism that it wasn't even something that people were aware of yet that he was satirizing. That's part of the brilliance of Dawn of the Dead. I absolutely agree. I think that he found a place that he would he knew that people would be able to fantasize about being at and having complete control over because it was that having everything you could possibly want. Imagine living in a place where you have everything you could possibly want. His decision making to make that the hallmark feature of the film was a great choice, and it set up um, a, a way to make it to where you could have conflict and have plentifulness. And how do you disrupt that? And I think the whole course of the whole film played out such that you could have that dynamics of people wanting to take and the consumerism wanting and fighting and everything else and ends up developing perfectly into the story i was i you know i'd be curious to see and obviously the remake although being different uh happiness uh is less so in the remake than there is in the original even uh and i think that that's a great homage and not an appreciation of how romero usually prefers things to be or end in a fashion in which is tragic not to say that the original Dawn isn't, but Well, still, the original it, Dawn also had a much more tragic ending. Originally, Peter did kill himself, and then Faye picked her head up into the, into the helicopter blades when she saw she was about to be overrun, killing herself and the baby. And then the helicopter blades were spinning over the credits, and then they would run out of gas right as the credits were done, implying even if they took off, they were going to crash a few miles down the road anyway. That was the original ending. So he wanted this some bitch to be bleak. I think that was a good decision, a good call on his part. I don't know that it was perfect for the audience, and I think that even from watching Document of the Dead, he kind of knew that. He knew that it wasn't the way to end it to get people to keep watching and be excited and, and have something to live for. He needed to correct that in the sense, not to say to fix Night of the Living Dead, but in the sense he wanted to give some sort of hope. And I think he saw that even in... He, while he was directing, it's why he shot the second scene. He seemed to agree with going that direction. I think it was a smart choice. Dawn, uh, Dawn of the Dead is absolutely his Citizen Kane. I mean, it is his high water mark. Uh, it's a classic movie in every sense. Uh, I'll go so far as to say, I know you said it wasn't a perfect movie, but I think it it's one of those rarities. It's a perfect movie. There really is just 
and an element of it the whole movie it, it just works so well the pacing is right on there's great character development you're really feeling like you're there with them throughout the whole thing and he was so far ahead of things with uh, mall culture i mean he nailed the uh, the the commentary on it where it's just like okay they're gonna go and they're gonna set up shop in here this is a place where as long as we keep it you know, closed off from the zombies and nobody else gets in, which unfortunately happens. They're like, we're good. We can live the rest of our lives in here and be uh, relatively safe and uh, not have to really worry about material things. Not material things, but he very wisely also makes the characters start to make the make it feel like they're inside a prison look at i called her Faye earlier mistakenly fran and steven's relationship they they're they're hating each other almost by the time the bikers show Mm -hmm. up and peter is so estranged from them he's almost like the wacky neighbor you don't want to see that he very wisely showed that they got everything that they could want and it's a prison or i'm being way too cinema snobby philosophical about a horror film no, I mean, but that's that's the thing. That's with uh, you know Romero and and his his brilliance with a lot of these is that there are layers upon that where okay, you know they're they're safe, they're in there, but the thing is they're trapped. Like there's really there's nowhere that they're going to go that's going to be better than what they have, and they know that. And unfortunately, they start to kind of resent each other because they're the only ones there. And uh, it, it's sad, but it's also really good because it, it makes it interesting without forcibly putting some kind of lame dynamic in there where, uh, you know, all if of a there sudden... was a love triangle. Good God. I'm so glad they did not go that route. Exactly. If there was a love triangle or, or that kind of nonsense, then it would just it, it would have taken away from that. But uh, it's it's just a, an amazing film. And uh, I actually live not to uh, a few hours from Monroeville. And it's one of those I've always been meaning to kind of take a uh, a trip out there because i know they have uh the mall the monroeville mall supposedly celebrates their oh yeah they have a, they have they kiosks have a and a lot of the stores that were there in, in the 70s and are still there today dawn of the dead merchandise and stuff they they're not ashamed that dawn of the dead was shot there no that's and absolutely they shouldn't be uh you know it's not like paul blart mall cop was shot there you know it's freaking dawn of the dead it, it's it's excellent well, and then after that, and you'll notice there are quite a few years usually in between most of Romero's films here. So then we jump from 1978 to 1981, where he made Knight Riders, early Ed Harris film. I don't know where I stand on Knight Riders. Again, like Martin, like Season of the Witch, I think is a great idea. I just couldn't get into the movie as it was made, you know, as it was. I'm not saying it's a poorly made movie. I'm not saying any, that it's a bad movie at all. I just couldn't get into Knight Riders. I loved the premise more than I liked the movie. I like Knight Riders. I think it's a, a tad long, but uh, still, it's uh, it's Renaissance Festival meets uh, meets, motorcycle. Co- meets Corman biker flick. Right. It's 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 fun. It's ridiculous. Ed Harris is really good at seeing a, a really young Ed Harris. The the Blu-ray came out uh, a year or two ago. Uh, it's, I've been meaning to pick it up and do an episode on it. I, I like Knight Riders. I, th- I think it's fun. It's it's silly, and it's it's uh, one of his lesser— it's one of his least serious. It's Yeah, it's absolutely a lot of camp. Good camp. There's nothing wrong with camp. It's, it's fun. I, I like Knight Riders. I think Knight Riders was his attempt at trying to, to diversify himself and what he had done. You know, up until that point, he had been primarily focused on very strong horror-related elements. Um, and I think it's one of the key pieces for him to try to do something different. Most directors try to say, hey, I can do more than just one thing. Um, this film definitely showcases that in a whole different dynamic, something radically different than he had done before. And honestly, it still feels like Romero. And uniquely enough, it comes out pretty decent, even though it's kind of, I would say it's the almost the most unique of all of his films as far as being different. It Night Riders has to stand out as being the top one. So if you want to see something different with Romero, go watch Night Riders because it's not like what you're going to expect. Well, and then after Night Riders, he went to Creepshow, which... I don't think Cecil and I have much to add. We did an entire episode on the Creepshow franchise. I liked Creepshow, and I'll just leave it at that. Darren, since you were not part of that retrospective, your thoughts on Creepshow? 
Creep show is amazing. I really, really wish there was more of that today. I, I had only seen Creep Show as of recently, and I really wish there was more storytelling just like that. I mean, the dynamics, the characters, the the, the real effects and everything else, and just the, the tactileness of bringing horror and unique envi- environments, you know, a, a very um, uh, anthology series like that is something that we just don't see. I know there's a lot of directors out there trying to build and make horror anthologies today. There are some out there, but honestly, the ones I've seen that are more recent can't hold a candle to, to, to Creepshow. It's just freaking amazing. I, I adore Creepshow. I think it's it's great. It's uh, like what Darren said. I think that we don't get good horror anthologies uh, anymore. I think the closest thing in recent years that we've gotten to uh, Creepshow is uh, Trick or Treat. I think that uh, that has a, just such a, a cool vibe and it's a great anthology series. I know you're not, I know you don't care for them, but I, I, and I'm not comparing them to Creepshow, but I very much enjoy the VHS anthologies. I think that they, um, they go a little bit nuts. They're better was, than Creepshow 3, I'll to give you that. They're better than Creepshow 3, <laughs> I, but I respect the fact that they're like, here, make these go nuts. And they're able to really just go crazy with them. And uh, I, I appreciate that because it's refreshing to see because there's a lot of stuff coming out now that's just so cookie cutter. And uh, for them to really kind of push some boundaries with uh, anthologies is cool. But uh, but yeah, I, I, but Creepshow, Creepshow's great. Well, and then he took a three-year break. Well, he didn't take a break. He created the TV series Tales from the Dark Side. He didn't direct any Tales from the Dark Side episodes, but he did write many of them and executive produced the first two seasons of Dark Side. While he was doing that, he was also prepping his next film, Day of the Dead, which is an aborted film. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, the, the movie was not the movie he thought he was going to make. He had his budget cut at the last minute, so he had to scale his movie back. Day of the Dead gets a has a horrible reputation amongst horror fans. They consider it a poor follow-up to Dawn of the Dead. They generally it's seen as the weakest of at the time the Romero's zombie trilogy. I think Day of the Dead is a fantastic film. Arguably, it might be my favorite of of the three films, the three zombie films at this point. I think it's just a phenomenal film. I love the way it plays out. I love the god-awful bleakness of it i mean you want to talk about dawn of the dead and and like giving hope there's no hope in day of the dead and that's kind of the point day of the dead i think is a fantastically underrated film and i wish horror fans would give it more of a chance and stop just looking at it as that film that's not dawn of the dead i think a lot of people have come around on day of the dead in recent years especially after the blu-ray came out it's it's been rediscovered, so to speak, where enough time has passed where uh, after Dawn of the Dead, people were expecting that. And unfortunately, it wasn't. But that doesn't necessarily make mean that it's bad. Uh, it was just different. And like you said, especially uh, when it came out, every, oh God. every mm-hmm. critic was like, I loved Dawn of the Dead. What the hell was that? But again, looking into uh, the production issues he had, he didn't he he wanted to make it much more of a grander scale of the war against the zombies. And I think for the issues that he had and the budgetary constraints, I think that he still made a very good movie. Is it as good as Dawn of the Dead? No, but I wouldn't even put it anywhere close to being a bad film. It's got such interesting characters and I love it. Choke on it. I mean, come on. No, come on, the best line. I'm running this goddamn monkey farm now. <laughs> I love that. But that's that what line. I mean. There's there's so many like good classic moments in it. It's just a, a very good movie and uh it, it unfortunately did get uh, bashed when it came out, but there are a lot of movies that just did not get uh the love that they really deserved when they came out because One the It also came out against producer and co-writer of Night of the Living Dead's film Return of the Living Dead. They both came out at the same time. Ah, uh, but re- yeah, that that's that's a tough one because yeah, uh, Return of the Living Dead is one of the quintessential zombie horror films, and was much more well received by critics than Day was because Re- Return came out like a month earlier. So <sighs> Romero muses on the commentary that if Return hadn't come out, Day may have been a bigger hit in '85. 
Yeah, I would. I could see that happening because don't because oh god, Return of the Living Dead, man. That just when that came out, that blew up big time. Honestly, I I personally watched Day of the Dead more times than I probably watched Dawn due to simply the running time. Day of the Dead is a shorter, more brief watch, and uh, it ends up when you're younger, you want to watch what you can watch more. So Day of the Dead for me, I watched it more while still liking Dawn as a result as a preference but day was so easy to watch over and over again um the characters were very well acted the time back in the day maybe things were treated too extreme but if you look at all the acting and all the characters they the acting was great Rhodes freaking phenomenal joseph was just amazing as that guy i mean i cannot it's so true and so extreme it's like yep if you were here you'd be just like these one of these crazy people that are down here you would be at this point I honestly feel like it's one of those films where it started developing potential of what could be of the monsters, right, or zombies. And a lot of the films up to that point, you know, they were us, but we wanted to relate more to them in, in a lot of ways. And I think what Are you talking scary, about Bub's Aunt Alicia? Absolutely. Well, Bub, I think, is is one of the, the, the pivotal characters. I mean, without Bub, I don't know that Day would be as good as it is. I think that's one of the things, if you're going to see a character arc, Day finally gives you an arc to the zombies and hadn't been done at all. They were just, you're dead. There was no chance. There was no hope. There was no gem at the end of the tunnel, right? So Bub brought that back, and it's funny because the movie really shows more about how humans can overlook such an amazing thing, do something terrible while something amazing happens right in front of their face. So to me, Bub was great, and I, I, the actor, the performance, the makeup, also the makeup, right? I mean, you looked at if you look at Day versus Dawn, the makeup in Day is leaps and bounds beyond that as far as believability. But then again, they're supposedly been dead longer, they've aged and stuff like that. I, I feel like I really wish almost a look of uh, Day's zombies could exist in Dawn. A lot of those those elements in there help be more memorable because they're more graphic. Day is a very graphic film relative to Don, Don being lighter, but still keeping it obviously the ending crescendo of violence that Romero is known for. So, <laughs> Well, then after that, he was still doing the Tales from the Dark Side TV series, but then he made what I consider one of his worst films. I, nobody is going to be able to convince me Monkey Shines is a good movie. 1988's Monkey Shines, I think, is a laughably bad movie. First of all, a helper monkey as the villain does not work. The, the monkey is cute and whatnot. I didn't buy the premise. I didn't buy the characters. At the end, when he bites the monkey and whatnot, I'm laughing at how ridiculous this is. And I'm like, is it sad that a Malcolm in the Middle subplot did this same story better than a 90-minute multi-million dollar George Romero film? Maybe I'm on the outs on this, but I did not like Monkey Shines. It's definitely one of his weaker films. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily his worst film, but uh, I like that it was different. <laughs> a, a helper monkey that uh, is just an ass and and just uh, is, is beating the hell out of the dude. And then, yeah, he bites the monkey. And I don't know. I, I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was OK. I didn't think it was uh, it was all that terrible. You know, I always get the, the Simpsons pop into mind all the time, right? I was going to eat that monkey is what tends to be the Pray ending line. for Mojo. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I actually see the problem with Monkey Shines is not particularly the fact that it's some of the things are kind of ridiculous. Things make sense, but you like to drop your uh, your guard with your suspension of disbelief with it. You have to let like, okay, this monkey can do this and just assume it's really bad and really evil. You know, you have to really just say, sure. And if you can do that, which I managed to do because I went into it intentionally trying to read nothing besides another was a bad monkey in it. When I first saw it and I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good. And by the time he gets to the point where he bites the monkey and kills it and turns on the radio and the hugs and all the good stuff and all the craziness. At that point, I'm so into the characters and what's happening that I am okay with what you would consider potentially ridiculous. I am okay with it because there's a lot of uh, validity there. Like, what would you do? I mean, yeah, you're going to bite the crap out of that monkey and shake the hell out of it till it stops doing bad things. And sure, done. Well, then in 1990, 
he directed one segment of the the sort of anthology film Two Evil Eyes along with Dario Argento. I haven't seen this since 1990, so I'm just going to say I liked it in 1990. So 25 years later, I don't know if I would still like the facts of the case, Mr. Vladimir, or not. Unfortunately, this is a film that I hadn't seen. Um, it's one of the things I've been trying to get a hold of and check out. Honestly, I would be able to have a unique perspective on it, but at this point, I haven't seen it. So, Yeah, I, uh, probably the last time I saw it was uh, in the late 90s. So you're going almost as long as me. The uh, But I've, I've seen it twice, and uh, the only thing that I recall, I, I liked it, um, but I thought that it suffered from some bad effects like really unbelievable like bad like like television just bad so that's now granted like i said i'm going off of memory here but i just remember the the big thing with me and this wasn't the episode this wasn't the the one that he directed but i remember the one with the cat where uh it was the really really bad cat puppet and i just remember that being terrible so that but that's really all I, I can i recall i remember enjoying it i just remember that the effects were bad well in 1990 was a big year for george romero he also wrote and pro- wrote and produced tales from the dark side the movie which we also dealt with on our creep show retrospective wrote and executive produced the 1990 night of the living dead remake which i thoroughly love almost as much as the original Then his next directing effort would be 1993's The Dark Half, a movie that is, it's a train wreck, but not because of Romero. This was a textbook example of what what Cecil likes to constantly talk about in his exploring videos, studio meddling. The Dark Half is not the movie it should have been, nor was it the movie that Romero wanted to make or that Timothy Hutton wanted to make. Nobody wanted to make the movie that ended up being released to theaters. And I think that's an that's an apt way to put it because the movie's not very good. I wish it was what it could have been, though. It uh yeah, it suffered from a lot of studio interference, and uh, I, I think that um, they went in with uh, you know this is what we want to do, and they were like great, and then they uh, they started, and then it was like all right, but we want to make it this, and and just. Uh, I never will understand that why they will greenlight one production and then early on or even part of the way through at all. Hey, um, what if we make it this? And, it's like, and then no. you end up making something no one's happy with. Right. Like there I would I mean, I think that there there has to have been occasions where a producer stepped in and the movie improved. However, I would say 99% of the time it's the complete opposite because you you if you hire a director to do a job unless the director completely screws up uh, and just botches things let him do the job that he was hired to do and uh, the the vast majority of the time you're going to end up with the movie that the audience is going to want to see and then uh and then if that's not the case uh, it just sometimes it just happens. I mean, movies are a living, breathing organism. And sometimes for whatever reason, they could have all the money. They could have everything going exactly the way that they want. And for one reason or another, it just does not come together. But at least let it come together uh, or at least let it live or, or die on what the original artistic integrity idea and concept was, as opposed to let's put this person in it to make it more commercial let's change this because it has to have a happy ending uh and and just completely botch the whole thing dark half was disappointing not 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 a terrible film but not anywhere close to what it should have been had uh the studio not stuck there you know what where it didn't belong so i saw the dark half without knowing anything obviously i knew that stephen king was based on his work but beyond that i knew nothing about it. i knew it was romero i knew nothing about the story i knew nothing about uh any of the troubles they had during production I just got to see it and i watched it and i thought it was yep this is romero yep it's good yep i like it it's very weird very different and out there ideas totally fit in with something he would be involved with directing i dug it i had no issues with the final product i i don't know why i I know a lot of people obviously seem to have like it's not the greatest film this and that but for me like the dynamics that was happening it was just fun to watch and i enjoyed it i thought there were some confusing elements 
you know, about the brother. I was confused about some of the dynamics here and there, but I kind of just let that go. I think maybe so maybe I'm a, I'm being a bit forgiving of some things that people are treating a little more critical. But I did like the story. I liked the, I liked the idea. It was just a bit supernatural versus what I had been used to seeing, I guess. But I thought it was neat for that. It's different from anything else he had done up until that point with regards to that. I mean, it also been grounded in some sort of reality, granted zombies, but zombies at least had some sort of non-supernatural element, questionable, sure, but still. Um, this film definitely went a little bit outside of the box, in my opinion. Well, and I don't know if it was the disastrous performance of the dark half in theaters that led to a seven-year gap between Romero doing almost anything. He, he goes from pretty much 1993 to 2000 with no writing credits, no producing credits, no directing credits. He basically, and I know from interviews this was not his choice, he was retired for those seven years because he was considered almost unhirable. At one point, Universal tasked him with a Mummy remake, this was like 1998, I believe, 1997. And he said the script he turned in, they were very happy with, and he never heard from them again. And then the Brendan Fraser, Stephen Summers movie came out. So it's kind of like, well, I guess they went in a different direction. He eventually made 2000's Bruiser, although in America it didn't come out till 2001. Bruiser is a film that kind of, it's what if George Romero made Fight Club? A man is being being abused by his by his of a wife he's being abused by his boss his best friend is taking advantage of him he basically doesn't exist everyone treats him like crap and one day he literally wakes up with no face now being faceless he can exact revenge on all those people who have been a thorn in his side and the movie dances this fine line between whether the faceless thing is actually real or if it's just all in his head and he finally snapped and i think bruiser is a just, it's a criminally underrated film. Bruiser went direct-to-video in America, direct-to-video in most of Europe, and I think it's sad that George Romero was forced to go to direct-to-video, especially with what I think was his best film in a decade. Cecil, I know you haven't seen Bruiser, so I'll just go to Darren on this one. So, uh, Bruiser, for me, was like the perfect... It, it, it evolved from being uh, a horror-based film up until the point where you got towards the end of it and it dynamically evolved into being an anti-hero i like bruiser because really the bruiser the character that's that's scary that's 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 taking vengeance is an anti-hero so at some point which is really weird I, for me at least i started rooting for him started rooting for this guy uh henry was phenomenal don't know what he's really seeing you realize that he's got some conflicted issues and you 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 just kind of take for whatever he's experiencing as being real um i'd equate a lot of it to even like uh some of the dynamics that i feel like a, a american psycho stole a lot from bruiser um the dynamics of you don't know what's really going on but the same vantage point there's an anti-hero at least in this case it feels like an anti-hero because he does some pretty cool things later in the film. First, he's evil, or you think he's bad, he's just not okay, and all of a sudden he starts becoming this person for But he's only right. hurting the people who screwed him in life, that screwed him over in the past. This is true, but even that, I mean, a lot of anti-heroes do just that. I'm not saying he's totally vindicating his actions through what he's doing. He's not vindicated at all, he's not validated, or, you know, it's not appropriate in a lot of ways, but... Honestly, I think that he's doing a lot of unique things that people would say, yep, this person's probably done other bad, and he's able to follow through on the actions that people might actually start cheering for him. And that makes a monster relatable, even if you want to call him a monster, right? He's not the hero, but he's an anti-hero. So he becomes someone you can like and root for, which is weird. At, late, at least later in the film, you start to get that feeling. That was my reaction to it. This going direct to video certainly didn't help Romero's career, and it was almost ignored on video as well. But then, surprisingly enough, in 2005, he made another of the Dead film, Land of the Dead. It didn't do too well with critics, didn't do too well with horror fans. I loved it. I thought Land of the Dead was a fantastic movie. It was a phenomenal film. It was better than it should have been, with the exception of the final minute of the film. I thought Land of the Dead was it was the post-apocalyptic almost Road Warrior zombie movie that he wanted to do back with Day of the Dead before his budget was cut. 
And I loved the fact that this was almost a science fiction movie. It was almost a post-apocalyptic movie with zombies, as well as being a harsh criticism of the Bush administration. The only thing that, that ruins Land of the Dead for me from being a near-perfect film is the last minute. The ending, and I just mean the ending, 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 is so stupid it actually pissed me off. We just saw these now-intelligent zombies tear a bunch of innocent people apart, just ripping their eyeballs out while they're screaming, including children. And then he's sitting there not, not shooting them with the missile. They're just looking for their way in life, man. Let him go. I went, oh, f*** you! F*** you with that last minute! This is a good movie up to and including that last minute. Because You're going to seriously defend that idiotic, they're just looking for their place, man. That was kind of, I mean, that was the angle that Romero was going for with this one. That was his commentary. You just saw them this... butcher children screaming for their lives. Eh, I mean, they deserved it. It was the haves versus the, it's in the context of a movie. It was the haves versus the have-nots. And the whole thing was, here was this, this group of people that have been, downtrodden and been taken advantage of and we had uh the the you know one percent living in the literal ivory tower and uh the the zombies finally came and took back i I don't think you can count what they do to dennis hopper and his people to an innocent child screaming for his mother as they're tearing the little the eight-year-old girl's eyeballs out Eh, you know uh happens it was it was a revolution ugly stuff is is going to happen and uh, I, I thought, uh, I, I, regardless of, of that, I mean, besides uh, the, the ending, uh, I think the whole movie was terrific. I remember uh, when they first announced it, and uh, it was originally uh, Dead Reckoning, and uh, they were kind of, ta- I mean, it went through a lot of uh, changes, but I, I, there was a good probably four years of reading about it before it finally was released. I saw where... this one in the theater, too. My wife and I went to see this. I, I as well. Yeah, I saw it in a theater and uh, I, I was happy because uh, it was holy crap. A new Romero zombie movie. It's in, in the theater. Yes. And uh, I was not disappointed. Leguizamo was great. Dennis Hopper was great. There were some spotty CGI moments, but there still was some good practical effects in there still. Just I really thoroughly enjoy uh, Land of the Dead. I thought that uh, uh, it was a return to form for Romero and uh it's a shame that uh, they didn't kind of let him follow up on that like he wanted to, but uh, that's a whole other thing. But uh, it's still, it's it's a terrific movie. It's a, it's a great zombie movie, and it's a great Romero film. Land of the Dead, quite frankly, I saw it at midnight on the release night. So I saw it, and unfortunately, I had a huge group of people with me to see it, too. I brought a massive amount of people, and my opinion was it wasn't quite what I was expecting. It was very different. I honestly think now having looked back on it years later and having having watched it again many times as recently, uh, it's so much better now than it was when it was first released. I think the problem was a lot of people came off of just seeing things like 28 Days Later, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And honestly, Land, I, I feel like got an opportunity because of the remake. It was it's a classic film. It fits perfectly in. Maybe some of the issues I have with it fall in line with the fact that the 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 I would call it star studded cast is awesome in their roles. But they were too kind of mainstream, well known. They were too there they are. I wish they were a bit more obscure, like it kind of was for the other films. I feel like that kind of detracted a little bit from Land. But now because they are becoming more obscure even though you know who they are it's even more impactful um the o- overarching uh political commentary and and dynamics for the the zombies honestly it was where romero wanted to go with them he wanted to develop them into some sort of intelligence and all that i wish the ending like most had an opportunity to see another film but unfortunately it just isn't the case um but uh i still think land is a great way to finish off the quadrilogy if we want to call it that it's it's a hallmark to hope i think it ends with hope right after all it does end with fireworks i like fireworks sky flowers sky flowers yes sky flowers yes well and then he he took another two years to make diary of the dead which is a very divisive film i i'm not sure where i fall on diary of the dead i'm i'm a I'm of a weird mind in this. I think the first two-thirds of Diary of the Dead actually work quite well. The movie completely falls apart and loses its shit in the, thir- in the final third. But I think the first two-thirds are actually quite well done. And it even explains 
using the found footage style of why. There's always this question in a found footage movie. Why are you still taping? Instead of running from the monster, why are you still taping and racking focus? Diary of the Dead answers that by using this as a look-back documentary that's been edited together from multiple sources, security cameras, internet downloads, etc. And I think that actually adequately to me answered the question of why are you still taping? The movie does fall apart at the end, and it's very much – this is an indictment of the internet and YouTube era. It doesn't have the power that the other four of the deads have, but overall, I did like Diary, and I know a lot of people didn't. I like Diary. I had heard so many people uh, complaining about it and badmouthing it that when I finally did uh, sit down to watch it, I was surprised. I'm like, this was not a bad movie at all. was – Found footage, and I think that was around the time when people started really getting sick of found footage because there's so many things. I mean, they, but this although, is how found footage is supposed to be done. But that's the thing; it was it was done well. It was done creatively, where, uh, like you said, it was edited together from multiple sources. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I, I thought that um, it, it was it was a good movie. I liked the the characters. I liked the uh, the the portrayal of things. I liked how CGI was a little shoddy in some parts. Uh, and also, C- and also, they killed the Amish guy, who was the coolest character in the damn film. He was really <laughs> cool. I, I will look past the, the shoddy CGI because I will talk about the horrendous CGI of the next one. Yes. But yeah. But I think that uh, Diary is a movie that does not deserve the bad mouthing that it gets. I think it's a very, very solid film. It's not a great movie, but it is a highly entertaining, very cool. I would dare I say it's somewhat different perspective on zombie films. I did like Diary a lot. Um, one big thing I, that I had issues with uh, very quickly with it, um, the only issues, was the fact that it didn't feel as timeless. It's obviously very built into a scope of certain events. It references things involving the Internet. It's very modern. Current. Exactly. And if you you go too modern, uh, and I think Romero's learned this lesson, whether it be modern is a bad move usually. You want to be timeless. And I think that Diary, while in its era, was at its at its top tier of being how good it can be i feel like it's one of those unfortunately of all of his films that will diminish in quality as time goes on because a lot of the things in it won't make sense like having a camera you have cell phones everywhere now like why would you have a giant camera you'd be there's no they reference myspace they do, and that's funny because it's basically dead. The uh, the the storyline was good. If you ignore the um the 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 things that set it in an era, it's very good. In fact, some of the funniest parts were I was most excited about like oh the military group and this and you're around this and they've got this supplies and they're dealing with it this way. I was more wanting to stay with that. Uh, if they had stayed with that and evolved the film towards the end with that material, I feel like uh, it would have been a better overall film as it would have evolved into a more timeless feel. Whereas at the end, it is kind of like, I have no idea. Let's just play uh, Haunted House. Why not? And that's my thoughts. Well, and then this film was relatively successful. It was relatively cheap. And then he decided to make its sequel. Survival of the Dead is not just the worst Romero film ever. It is one of the worst zombie films I have ever seen and probably in my top ten of most pissed-me-off bad films of all time. I hated every single second of Survival of the Dead. The CGI. I shouldn't even be talking about CGI in a Romero film. The CGI is god-awful. Things that could have been done easily with a practical effect were done with CGI. The tone is ridiculous. It's it's this gory, super serious tone that occasionally stops for a, a comic moment that almost, you almost think Romero wanted to put a wah-wah after some of these supposed comic moments that are painfully unfunny. There's not a single character in this film that is not an absolute f***ing asshole straight out of a Rob... Seriously, when Rob Zombie has more likable characters than you, you've screwed up. I hated every second of Survival of the Dead. This film sucks ass. This is the weakest of Romero's films, and it's a shame because after coming off of uh, 
Diary of the Dead. And then again, people were, oh, God, Survival of the Dead is horrible. And I was thinking, oh, God, you're, you people are just overreacting again. And I saw Survival of the Dead. It's not Yeah, good. that was horrible, wasn't it? Well, uh, I, I think the, the major thing was I liked that it was the it, it was the arc you know it was like okay well here's what happened in diary of the dead well here was the storyline that we didn't see i thought that was, was kind of cool it was a sort of sequel it was a sort of sequel spin-off but unfortunately i think what killed it for me not so much the storyline i think that the the effects they were just they were so bad they were they were like asylum it felt like i was playing a resident evil movie it felt like video game graphics that's how bad the cg was that you're, you're like wait a minute this isn't a resident evil game it no nah, even even the Resident Evil games because you're when you're when you're in that environment like it all kind of works but when you're in a movie and things look real and then all of a sudden it, it looks as horrendously bad as it does really took you out of the film and that was the thing like every time I'm watching it I'm like oh okay well this is oh I'm out of the movie I'm like it just the effects were so bad it just kept taking me out of the movie over and over and over again and it just really kind of uh it ruined it for me. Survival would have been good if they got rid of all of the comedy and humor attempts. I think that their very uh dire um situations that they had were great. The the standoffs, but they needed to get rid of the humor. They were trying to be funny and it just don't be funny. You end up just weird and, and Romero in all of his films never was trying to be funny unless it was the characters trying to release their own stress, right? They were funny to each other, but you were like, you're kind of losing it, or you're not completely okay. You're just trying to maintain your sanity. I think they were trying to be funny to the audience, and that just doesn't make sense. Even Diary really didn't do any of that. If they were focused more on telling the story and making it more serious, it would have been a better film. Or maybe and, not making every character an asshole I wanted to hit. That too. I mean, uh, there are things called anti-heroes, but you also have to have some reason that you want to spend a movie with these people. Maybe not make the main character like the the hero in quotes, right? The like the not good guy from your last film. Why would you do that? We already don't like this guy. It doesn't make any, and he was barely in the last film. Why would you do that? So I don't. I think that it's part of it. Like they should have made a better storyline uh, to begin with. New characters to be heroes. And they should have went with something totally fresh. Well, and I, I just think Romero, you saw his quality level start to go down as his career went on. I mean, yes, you had you had ebbs back up like Bruiser and Land of the Dead, and then you had, you know, Diary was a, was a little bit of a dip, and then Survival was a pit I don't think you can climb back out of. Who knows what Origins is going to be like, which he is not directing, but his son is, and he's producing and co-writing. Who knows what Origins will be like, I just don't know. Romero's getting old. He may not have it. I really would hate the fact if survival is is the cap to Romero's directing career. That's not the way you should a great director like George Romero should be going out. But I have a feeling that's what it's going to be. I I don't think that I can fault the guy on one bad movie. I, it's I mean, so bad though. There could have been all kinds of screw ups. I mean, you don't all of a sudden uh, just make some of the quintessential zombie movies and then make a movie that just isn't good like that. I mean, it's just there there had to have been some kind of meddling that messed it up as bad as it did. So uh, I'm sure he's not happy with it. I, I think that the, the simple fact is he is just not getting the respect that he deserves. So I'm sure he had to argue well, I want to make a zombie movie. Well, we want to make a zombie movie, but we want to make this kind of zombie movie. Or we'll only give you this much money if you make this kind of zombie movie. And I think that he just kind of ended up with uh, this sort of uh, mishmash of zombie film where he kind of wanted to introduce some new things, uh, but didn't have quite the budget that he wanted to and probably didn't have as much creative control as he should have had. So I will not fault the guy for having one crappy film towards the end of his career after uh, decades of some outstanding films that really stood up in the face of a lot of the mainstream junk that we were getting out there. So I, I still think that uh, I, I would hope that he would have one more in him. I'm sure he has one more amazing film in him, but it comes down to whether or not someone is going to pony up the money in, and let him make the movie that he should be able to make. 
Uh, Romero is going to always go down in history as being uh, one of the the archetype uh, fantastic directors of all time, regardless of whatever he ends on. His impact on so many filmmakers, so many people, so many uh, directions that we can think of creatively, no matter what happens in the next years to come, he will always go down in history as being one of the greatest directors of all time and for the purpose of having the influence he's had of all time. I have a fantastic memory regards to Romero. Um, I was literally walking into a movie theater and I got a phone call on my phone uh, and the movie I was going to go see was the remake of Dawn of the Dead. And it was uh, two friends of mine who were at a horror convention in Chicago. So I've got to have someone talk to you real quick. And I said, okay. And so they put on the phone of all people, George Romero. I'm on the phone with Romero. Every time I say, what's your most simple advice to fledgling filmmakers out there? What, what if you, what was this, what's the simplest thing you can recommend to someone? If you can get a camera, get a camera, go out there and shoot, make something do something, get a camera and go film, make, just get a camera and go shoot something. That was the most fundamental advice I'd ever gotten from anyone. And it was so simple. It was just, duh. It was obvious advice. So many people get caught up in the details of things. Sometimes it's more about just going out there and making and being creative. So to me, Romero's got lots of future in him. He's got more opportunities to do many great things. He'll go down in history as being one of the greatest people to influence uh, our current generation. There's not many filmmakers out there today. And and other people that are creative, they can't say Romero's had not had some massive influence on them. So that's saying something. So Romero, A plus permanently. Where can we find Cecil T. Robot? You can find me at goodbandflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. Darren, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at uh, darren.orange. Uh, uh, you can also find me on Facebook, darren.orange, uh, as well as www.redds.com. Uh, I'd like to post a lot of things, get things out there. Come check me out. I can help you, ask questions. Love to talk. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can go there and buy a T-shirt or something, click on a couple of links, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys. Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.